Welcome to Politically Enraged, the Lefty's Refuge. Politically Enraged is a podcast purpose-built to discuss British and international disunity in political spaces, talk through ideas, introduce you to amazing people, and fight back against authoritarianism. My name is David Moo, I'm your host, and I hope you'll stick with us. Follow our Twitter at Political Rages, find us on Instagram and Coffee at Politically Enraged, and let's speak truth to power. Welcome to the podcast, Harry, otherwise known as a champagne socialist, isn't it? Champagne socialist, yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. No, I remember when I when I, I used to be champagne socialist, and then when I hit twenty thousand, I thought, you know, I can add a the, in. and I remember it was someone said, like, oh, you're champagne socialist, and it's the, and they were like, you sound like a pretentious tosser, and I was like, yeah, I, like <laughs> I like, I like, I like it. I thought, you know what, it, it was there because obviously I'm not verified yet, which would be quite nice. But um, I always wonder how you go about that process getting verified. Um, but yeah, no, thank uh, it's, you for having me. No, you're welcome. I've wanted to talk to you for ages anyway, because like I, it's yeah. funny you mentioned that, because I remember when I first came across your page and started following you, it's one of the first videos I saw was you going, right, I know I'm called Champagne Socialist. I'm not actually a yes. socialist or a yeah. champagne socialist. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yay, complicated things. Yeah, no, because I, I, my page my page started when I, I started my page when I was 20 as part of a university project, um, because I studied during the pandemic. And um one of the modules I did was called Politics in Action. And we had to um, basically engage with politics in the wider community. And the idea was pre-COVID, you would have actually gone out and worked with say a charity, um, like a school, you, you would have provided some sort of service to the community. Um, because of the pandemic, we weren't able to do that. We were sort of under lockdown, the restrictions were quite uh, were very tight, um, also the Tories ignored it. And we, um, and so we were told you can, use say social media for example and, and use that um sort of engage and i decided I'd, I'd used i think everyone got tiktok over lockdown over 2020 at some point you went from going tiktok is crap i hate it to i'll download it and i'll watch a few videos to i might try one of the dances before you know it you're doing the what's it i can't even remember one dance off the top of my head but you you, you know you, you're practicing that you're practicing the lip syncing and everything and so i decided you know what, I'll use TikTok, like how hard can it be? By the time, so I started properly posting content for that module, it was October, 2020. And I already felt like the political, like the whole sort of political stuff on TikTok was already quite saturated. I felt like I was just adding myself in. And it was almost, you know, like with clean cards with the with the till, you'd like take a take the number and it's like, you are number 1,200, right? You, you know, you've got to wait before you gain any sort of traction. And then I think just sort of, continuously posting and sort of talking about what was, so at the time sort of October obviously there was stuff with um whether measures should be implemented again um there was the Marcus Rashford's campaign to feed one of the school children which obviously the Tories didn't want to do um I'm trying to think what else was there uh, there, were, there was a lot of stuff to talk about and I was just sort of talking about it and gradually the page sort of gained traction um by the time I finished the module in May 2021 the page was on like 10,000, 12,000 followers. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll just continue it. And I, and I have since. So it started, what started off as a universal module has kind of just become this, which I'm very sort of proud of. Um, That's really awesome. It's the thing for me is I, TikTok was the thing that sort of brought talking about politics out in me, but I get yeah. the sense from you that you've always been quite political. So is there something that really got you into it? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been quite, I said I've been quite political from a young age. So when I was little, about sort of 10 sort of 11 I remember my 
parents would always have a copy of the newspaper on their living room table. And they would insist that me and my brother, uh, either on Saturday or Sunday, read one of those, read one of the papers. Um, because they would ask us questions at dinner about it. They wanted us to be aware. I've grown up very, very well off. I'm, I'm very, I'm very privileged in my life. Um, I've never wanted for anything. Uh, never gone to bed hungry unless I refuse to eat my dinner. Um, so I've been very fortunate in that regard. But my parents wanted us to know what was going on in the world. Um, I grew up watching a lot of sort of political satire as well, sort of thick of it. Um, have I got news for you? A lot of it when when younger you don't really understand. You sort of you're laughing at it because adults are laughing at it and you think it's mature to laugh at it. But then as you get older, you start to understand more. And then when you watch sort of old clips, knowing the context of that clip, you start, you get it now and you understand why it's funny. Um, so yeah, so from very young age, very political. Um, well, I wouldn't say very, I was just sort of aware of what was going on. Um, and then so the first sort of major election I remember was the 2010 election. I was about nine, 10 years old. And I remember we had a load, we had a Tory councillor and our local Tory MP come into my church school to speak to us, basically trying to get our um, get us to encourage our parents to vote Tory. Now, I don't know, I don't know about you, my parents never would have gone, you know what, we know, you know we need to consult before before we go to the ballot, but oh, my mum didn't want to convert in my family. Uh, we're going to say, yeah, no, um, let's ask Harry what he thinks, like asking a nine-year-old. But then I remember they said, so your mummy's and daddy's going to be voting, to which I piped up said, yes, but not for you. Um, <laughs> quite a young age. And I actually still see that councillor from time to time around my village because um, I serve him occasionally at work. And I don't think he remembers. Um, but obviously, I, I remember it quite I remember it quite well. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, very young age, very political, very sort of engaged. Um, and sort of my sort of more sort of stepping into what was going on was around 2016 around the time of the Brexit referendum. I think that's the case for a lot of people my age. That, that sort of big sort of political um, events was was the 2016 referendum. I think that's one of the only good things that's come out of it. It's made people a lot more political and a lot more engaged in, in the processes. It's gone from a very sort of niche thing to now a lot of people are talking about, which I think is a very good thing. I think wider participation in democracy is, is very key. Yeah, definitely. But I think when it comes down to talking about around that topic, that's something that I had literally argued with someone about this recently because they were saying that it's wrong, like children should be children and you shouldn't indoctrinate them into politics. And I was like, indoctrination is wrong, but giving children objective facts and teaching them right from wrong is yeah. hand in hand with politics, if you ask me. There is exactly. no extrication from that. And I think when it comes to kind of bringing politics into a more accessible sort of state for younger people i think that's really key and like that was one thing i wanted yeah. to talk to you about because it seems like you have this like hardcore base of younger people who are really politically motivated and I'm, i was like i really wanted your take on it yeah i mean i i and i was thinking i ring of it i mean there was nadim sahawi the other a few weeks ago talking about how teachers shouldn't be imposing political views on uh, students and this whole sort of idea but you know still discussing let's say you're doing say sociology for example which is sort of looking at looking at society you have to understand the the context in certain situations um and so you can't not you you can't remove the politics from it so it sort of goes to it, right so you know it's say in uh, you look at sort of say you're looking at um deprivation material deprivation um in sort of the 2010s and you go well what was one of the key factors that contributed to deprivation was austerity well how come austerity happened well, there was a financial crash 
and the implications of that. And then when the Conservative Party came into power in 2010 under the coalition, they implemented austerity measures as a way of dealing with the financial crash from, from the fallout. Um, and that's what that's that's what contributed to it. So it's it's almost like you're sort of stopping people from understanding the wider thing, and you want people to be as intelligent as possible and to understand things in in the wider sense. Um, I don't. I personally don't see the problem. I don't. I think if you don't understand it, let's say like going to votes, for example, for the referendum. Let's say the referendum, for example, you get a lot of people who are. 40s, 50s voted for the first time ever in their lives. Who didn't know how to vote. They didn't, you know, like, do I put a tick? Do I put a cross? Is this where I do it? I mean, I still do the same thing. I mean, I, I voted. I can't. I think this will be my this actually this next Thursday. I think will be the fifth fifth time I, fifth time I voted, and I'm still there. Like, I put it in this box, right? But it's it's sort of um, letting people, making people more aware. And I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong. You get a younger generation who don't don't want to be engaged, and you always find with sort of older generations that they'll complain that sort of younger generations aren't as engaged in the political process. And then when they have political opinions, they're either the wrong opinions or they should just stop talking about it. So we can't win. You can't. You can't. You can't win in that regard. I've just always found it a really strange mindset that older people don't want to engage younger people in politics because older people like. Yeah. I don't want to sound harsh when I say this and, and I am obviously over an older generation than you, but like older people aren't going to be alive forever and you have to prep people to take over or you get what I think has happened here, which is a really large, significant portion of the country. Like you said, it was the first time that it really exercised their own democratic <laughs> right to vote in Brexit. Yeah. And there was this huge sort of lag in people that didn't really care about politics who suddenly got really politically motivated, didn't know what the hell they were voting for. Yeah. have screwed things up because they they got taught for years you know let the adults handle it oh the conservatives have to be in charge because they're the ones who are more responsible blah 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 and suddenly we're in this situation where energy prices are spiraling we haven't got yeah. access to to protest anymore you have to carry id to vote even though there's only been four cases of voter fraud that have been proven in the last election out of 17.6 yeah. million voters and stuff and you're like what the hell is happening <laughs> A lot of the problems that you find with sort of generations that those sort of people who feel that way is this sort of apathy and that sort of created through our voting systems this idea that nothing really changes vaping stories they're both the same you know they're all from the same sort of crop um they've just been you know turned into different products um but they'll still do the same job and it's almost created, created this apathy this idea of so i for example live in a tory safe seat you know i leave my one-man revolution every election and uh, go along and, and put a vote and vote for a candidate that's not conservative and not, nothing changes. Um, I actually found where, where I was, the, the majority was slowly, slowly dipping. And then in 2019, it shot up um, right again. So back to the drawing board. It's, um, but no, it just creates this apathy. And then when you get something, you get, that's why movements like UKIP were so popular because people come along. And so Matthew Goodwin talks about this. Um, he's a, uh, sort of analyst, sort of political analyst, and he um, this idea of the sort of left behind generation. So born in sort of seventies, eighties, um, deindustrialization of their of their areas, their towns, um, where basically all the industry is removed, but then no jobs are provided. There's no training for any jobs provided. You take the you take the jobs out of the out of the area, removes the economy, which then has a massive um, social and economic has a lot of implications in so, um, society. As in general, then 
you get people who get they, they're angry you know um crime crime goes up poverty goes up uh mental health uh cases uh spike as well because you know if you don't have a job you don't have a purpose you, you start to feel like there's no point to living um and then you in the meantime you've got a party in power that don't clearly don't care about you and will the would just won't acknowledge you you see them and then you've got another party on the other side who are supposed in your mind supposed to represent you but they don't sort of this sort of, sort of the sort of change under labor in the 90s and sort of early 2000s sort of sort of your metropolitan liberal elites i suppose is another way of describing them sort of taking votes for granted but not actually providing anything for and i mean that's sort of this is i'm quoting sort of paraphrasing what, what goodwin is saying in this in this case um and then you start to feel apathetic you don't feel like the system represents you you don't vote you just go along with your life along comes a movement like ukip for example who um so, you know this idea of like saying it how it is they provide in the good old days that nostalgia they they channel into that and this idea of make things good like they were when you were younger and some things weren't that great it's just because you were younger and you don't fully understand the wider the wider situation but you know uh you don't get it i think like a lot of us who were young under in the financial crash i was very fortunate that that didn't really affect me um it didn't affect me at all i, I barely noticed it but for a lot of people a lot of my friends for example they did notice it or now that they're older they realize actually this is why we had to do this is why you know we were we were eating like tinned food um all the time or because you start to understand it um, the financial older. crash it yeah. that completely temporarily completely ruined my life i had a nine to five where i worked in an office and i lost that job so then yeah. i was like i had a bar job that i did um thursday friday saturday nights and i went to them and was like can you give me full-time hours and they went not only can we not give you full-time hours we're actually gonna have to let you go so because of the financial okay. crash i lost both jobs then i well, I found out that my housemate was a bit of a creep, so I had to move back in with my parents temporarily because yeah. what do you do when you have no job and you need to move? Yeah. Um, and then I got swine flu because that was really prevalent then. And oh, yeah. I, was, I was down for three months and recovered. And considering I'd just left university, the only job that I could get was yeah. working in a Costa. And from there, yeah. I did that and was like, I can't do this. I need to maximize my potential and fell into the career that I've, capitalized often that I'm now self-employed in so yeah. it, it did lead to good things for me way down the line after like six seven eight years but it, in that time my life just went absolutely down the shitter to put it to yeah. put it bluntly and that, and that, that, that was, I mean that, that was the case for a lot for a lot of people um and it, I mean it's had it's had different impacts um obviously I can't I can't speak to that but I can say like maybe so similar sort of, sort of with the sort of post sort of, we're not post COVID we're still in a pandemic despite what this government will have us believe um but sort of looking at the wider sense that you know uh, because obviously you know jobs are is, we're in a weird situation where there's record like so there's a lot of jobs available but unemployment is at its highest and well, this sort of obviously that is in the wider sense we're obviously with Brexit um, Johnson Johnson jobs. Johnson's insistence on quoting how good employment is literally drives me insane because I just want to I just want to be in the Houses of Parliament and go, you are counting zero hours contracts. And you can't you can't count zero hours contracts as employment because if you are on a zero hours contract, 
you are employed as in you have an employer, but you could go yeah. six weeks working zero hours, which means you earn nothing, yeah. which means you pay zero tax, which means that you I are contributing. I, I do think there is a, a sort of, there is a place for sort of zero hours in a certain extent. If you're young, let's say like sort of 16, 18. I think for me, so for example, where I work um, part time, I'm on zero hours just because I'm obviously at university and I come back and I just work as much as I do. Um, and then I go. I used to have contracts, but then that, that stopped after I, I officially sort of left the company and then came back. I do think there is a place for it, but if you're, you know, you're, if you imagine your traditional nuclear family, zero hours contract is no way, no way to be living. How can you budget? And that's what's contributed to this, um, to the problems that we face now. People, you know, you'll hear a lot of people in government talk about, oh, it's just money mismanagement. And it's like, well, if you have limited money and you're putting it where, where, you know, where, where you think it needs to go. This idea of sort of needs and wants. People are focusing on the needs, but if you don't have enough of the needs, there's no way you're spending anything on the wants. That's the thing that's always kind of gotten to me when it comes to the, the art, because I know that you'll get them as well. The people who will argue with you and say, like you said before, oh, well, back in my day, it was very yeah. difficult. I, I had no money. And I just want to say, why do you want to propagate that then? If it was yeah. so bad, if your life was so hard, if you just had to put up with it, why don't you want things to improve? Why do you want the status quo for the next generation? Because I could easily give in to that and be like, well, you know, like I, I managed to cope with losing both my yeah. jobs because of a recession, but I don't want that for the future generations. No. I want better. And why is that not what the hell we're striving for is the question. And I, I don't think people, I mean, yeah, that, that comes down to this idea of it was crap for me, so it should be crap for you. Um, and I mean, that's no way to, uh, there's no way to, uh, but then I also think it kind of, I don't know, it's sort of that sort of stiff upper lip sort of generation, you know, picks up up by the bootstraps. Here, I'll read you, I'll read you this tweet that I screenshot at the time because I thought, oh, you, you, you might have seen it, but it's, so it's basically similar to what you're saying. So who remembers living in a house without central heating, no double glazing, no loft insulation and waking up and scratching pictures in the ice on the inside of the windows? And um, sort of less than 40 years ago, bought a brand new Wilcon house. That's another thing, right? Sort of generations bought the houses in like the 70s, 80s saying, oh, you know, we've just got to save. You look at, so if you look at the average income, the average salary at the time, compare, and compare that to the average house price at the time, a lot smaller. Now, <laughs> it's a lot bigger. Um, but according, according to Kirsty Olsoff, all we've got to do is stop avocado on toast. And, uh, oh, yeah. I've, subscriptions. Yeah, I've stopped yeah. buying Costa Coffee and I've got enough to buy an airport, actually. I've actually, yeah, I've actually just bought a semi-detached um sweet right you know sorted it was all good um, the only thing that's semi-detached with me is my jar at all the stuff that's coming out in the media which brings me on to the thing i really wanted to discuss with you as well because obviously like before i ask a question have you ever been yeah. to or had to go to a protest yes i was quite big uh within the people's vote stuff back in sort of 2017 to 2019 i also marched yeah. with choose love um when trump uh did his visit to the uk mm. um yeah, but no, I've, I've been there. I, I mean, I've, I've been on, and it was a very, very calm atmosphere. Very, I mean, it's a liberal protest. It's not going, it's not going to be, um, it, I mean, there was never going to be any violence or anything kicking off. The police weren't going to start kettling people. Um, no, it was, I found it a very sort of enjoyable time. I was quite, I was about 18, yeah, I was about eight, 17, 18 years old when I went on that. There's um, a sense that I always get when I go to protest. I went to every BLM protest I could go to. Um, regardless of lockdown because it, it is a human right to be able to protest if you ask me and that's inalienable yeah. well not anymore but um you get this sense of like 
I'm around people that are as outraged by this and want to change it as much yeah. as me. And the fact that they're trying to curtail that, I just find it so disgusting. And the way that it's worded is so insidious, you know, yeah. it's, it's, oh, we're not banning protest. We're just saying that you have to get police permission. It's like, so if I want to protest yeah. against the police, I have to say, excuse me, police, do you mind yeah. if I protest against you? I'm sure that will That'll be great. No, no, that'll be. I mean, I'm sure that'll be, be. But a lot of it stems from the Extinction Rebellion protests back in 2019, um, yeah. and some of the things that they did. Extinction Rebellion are one of those groups that I think are doing more harm than good. I think their message is a message that we can all support. But you look at some of the things that they were doing at the time. For example, I remember some of their activists were jumping on the, were stopping tube trains from from moving. People who use public transport are doing more to help the environment than someone who's got a six liter diesel. And they have gone after those people as well. But, you know, going after sort of everyday Londoners, for example, who are not going to take them, they didn't take kindly. I remember they dragged them off the uh, carriages. Um, but a lot of, so a lot of these measures have been implemented because of those, because of groups like that. And, you know, there does need to be some sort of, you know, should you be able to put boats in the middle of, uh, was it Officer Circus they did? Yeah. No, it wasn't Officer Was it Officer Circus? Yeah. Yeah, but I think in a, it was. Yeah. But in a boat that you can't, it, that mean you know let's let's not take the piss here. Um, but then, the, the, so the noise limit, for example, that was that's one of the things. Obviously, you've been in protest. I've been in a protest. Everyone who's listening will have like made made in a protest. They're very loud because the point of a protest is you're supposed to draw attention to what you're doing in order to encourage other people to support your cause. So unless everyone's going to be learning BSL which I would recommend if you are going to go on a protest um, from now on. Um, not sure how you're going to get people to join your cause. What's the other, there was another thing with, um, you can't protest close to the parliament now, or they've, they've moved it. So you're not able to, there was definitely something Is, there. Let me... I can't remember exactly what it was. I did see someone jeering Steve Bray about that. And I just thought, well, yeah. that's the wrong thing to do because like I would lay down my life for Steve Bray because he's awesome. But... He's, he's come under a lot of, like, I remember there was the thing that Mark Francois said to him, I think it was a couple of years ago, basically said, by signing this Brexit deal, we've signed your death warrant or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and he's a nasty piece of work. Mark uh, Francois. Who isn't yeah. on that side of the aisle now? But I think the I, weirdest I part he, of I reckon it... he was the one who was uh, watching that content on his, uh, on his phone. I cannot I mean, think of anything worse I'm, than I'm seeing general, Mark. I'm, I mean, maybe I'm generalising the stereotype and or just faking it off the appearance, but no, I, I feel like he would be the type of person who would do that. A lot of people have said they think it's Jenkinson, but I know that someone messaged, uh, I can't remember which Tory MP it was, but they were like, hello, just a quick question. Can I just make sure it's not you yeah. that's implicated in the porn scandal? And he replied with, obviously yeah. not. And the person put it on yeah. Twitter and put, if it was obvious, I wouldn't have asked, would I? <laughs> yeah, but it's this idea, like, why? Why? I mean, I, I mean, I think sort of my workplace, if I was caught doing something like that, I would have been sacked on the spot. Exactly. And uh, 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 in, a, in the best case scenario for me, I'd be sacked on the spot. I mean, but then the worst, the worst case as well, I think it, that sort of isn't an isolated event. It, it's, it's part of a string of behaviour that we've seen in MPs and as we've seen at the moment. At the moment, there are 56 MPs, including three cabinet ministers, and this across the variety of the House, being investigated for sexual misconduct allegations and I think that is I think it's one in 12 so one in 12 MPs 
are under investigation at the moment for stuff like that. And you think, how can this be? Then is it is it part of, is it part of the culture? Does and that, but obviously that part of the culture needs to be removed. How do you go about it? It's. Uh... I think that's one of the problems that I have and have long had with the way in which we maintain Parliament, which is that I get you know. I get it's this historic institution that we've had for yeah. a very long time to maintain this democracy and blah, blah, blah. But if it doesn't move with the times, how is it expected to uphold something that's wholly yeah. different than when it started? And that's kind of one of the things that bothers me. And I listened to, um, oh, I can't remember who it was. I went on Byline Radio the other day and I was talking to yeah. one of the journalists. It was, let me look, because I messaged him. It was Sam Bright, who's written a book called Fortress London, which is all about yeah. how London should be decentralised from politics. And the idea that we have like mobile parliaments, not mobile parliaments, but multiple parliaments where, you know, they have to come to Leeds to see what it's like in Leeds. Or they have yeah. to go to Manchester or they have to go to Birmingham or they have to go up to Holyrood and meet them. You know, they have to conduct this business outside of this like beautiful, archaic part of London. Yeah come into the freaking real world and see what it's like for the rest of us. Because politics for me, as much as I'm like fiercely insistent that politics is for everybody, which is why yeah. I do what I do and I make videos where I speak plainly about politics. It's also about pulling them out of it because there's this sort of two tier system, which is exactly what's reflected in Johnson's politics and the way that he's behaved throughout the pandemic, that he makes the rules, he doesn't have to apply them to himself, yeah. which is crap. And it's it's that that annoys me the most, and it's reflected at every single level of politics. If you ask me, well, a lot of the rules. I mean, a lot of the rules you haven't because we have an uncodified constitution. A lot of it, it can just be changed. For example, like this whole the protest um, bill. If that was a codified constitution, it'd be very difficult to change that. Um, but because of sort of the certain things that they have included in their manifest, a lot of the stuff that, that they're pushing through, they included the 2019 manifesto, which under the Salisbury doctrine. Um, the Lords can only delay for up to a year, I believe, uh, when it's uh, when it's introduced. A lot of that stuff was was very clear, but everyone was too focused on Brexit at the time to, to sort of really notice that, to notice what was going on, um, which I think is a fault within everyone. Um, but now as for the, the what's, what, sorry, what were we, I've gone off, I feel like I've gone off topic slightly. What was your previous point I, about that? I do the same, don't worry. Just saying that like, like decentralizing London and making yeah. politics more accessible nationwide and more accessible to the people is really key. I think that's one, I mean, that's one of the only, like with the, say with the levelling up paper, the sort of push for that, this idea of sort of, uh, sort of more fur further devolution, which I, I think does work. I mean, obviously the people so take where Leeds, for example, the people of Leeds will understand the, understand the needs of the people of Leeds better than someone, someone in Westminster. Um, and further de devolution, it is 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 a good thing, um, but then it's sort of you know it comes into our questions back. It comes back in an A level politics lesson. So this is what we were looking. Remember, this is what we used to look at. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we have the sort of London Assembly, which looks specifically at at London issues. Um, do you do you think Parliament should be moved? Maybe move it further. I don't think it should be, I don't think it should be moved permanently. My point when I was speaking to the people at Byline was yeah. don't, don't remove parliament because parliament is, it, you know, it does represent historic yeah. British democracy and it's important, but make more, make more parliaments, make 
make buildings in the major cities yeah make buildings in the middle of freaking nowhere that are designed to hold sessions of parliament because you you experience things directly when you have to go to different places i live in leeds and i've lived in leeds since 2007 when i came for university yeah. so i know everything about it i know where everything is i know what the streets are yeah. like i know where there's roadworks and damage i know when there's going to be queues i know all of those things put me yeah. in the center of london or put me in westminster i don't know where anything is i don't know what's yeah. the good and the bad i don't know and I'm not an elected official, but if I'm elected to make decisions, say, say Parliament was up here and I somehow became a politician, but I was in charge of Westminster, how the fucking yeah. hell would I know what I'm meant to do to make Westminster a better place? Because I'm not there. But, yeah. I mean, obviously, they're sort of with the local authorities and they can implement decisions, but then if they don't have the funding to do those sort of things or they don't have the legislative power to implement a lot of that stuff. Um, for one of my modules, my, one of my modules at university, we were working uh, with the local authority um, on a community needs audit with specific focus on young people. And a lot of the issues that were coming up realistically weren't within the powers of the council. And it's it's more reflective of, of a wider issue in this area. I won't say uh, where where it was, because I don't think we can actually say it, but um, sort, of the, so sort of crime, austerity, and austerity, COVID um, were the two big factors that were contributing to a lot of the problems. Um, and we... Um, I remember at the start of this module, and I said, well, obviously we may have to look at the, sort of the crime element in my lecture. like, no, 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 we don't need to do that. We're not going down that route. Sat in all these meetings with councillors, and they were like, yeah, no, crime is all good. Yeah, I remember just looking over and like, <laughs> I, told, I did tell you, I did tell you. Um, but no, I think it's, I, I would like to see further devolution. Um, but then it's what powers, obviously Scotland has got more powers than say Wales, for example, in terms of what they can do. Um, but I think this sort of idea of devolution, I think devolution has really just been used to form as a sort of a tool of appeasement for people who want independence. So yeah. idea of, well, you know, you, you can govern yourself and then people go, well, actually, no, we're, we're clearly good at doing it. And it's like, mm, yeah, not. So independence might be a bit of a step forward, but sort of this idea of, you know, you you govern yourselves, you, uh, you know, you still rely, you still rely on us. And I'm very much a, a unionist. I see that I don't like the idea of, of independence in a sense, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm from, I live, I mean, I've lived, I live in England. Um, I don't I mean, I don't know what it's like to live in Wales or Scotland. I've never actually been to Scotland. I would like to go to Scotland, but I've never, I mean, I've never been there. Maybe I'll live there a couple of years and actually, you know, time for, time for independence, back Sturgeon. Um, but I can't see that happening. <laughs> Scotland's a wonderful place and I've been a lot and I understand why people want independence, but I think I, like, I, I, kind of don't get I don't weigh into the debate often because I'm very like if if a whole country is talking about the fact that they want independence I'm not going to stand in the way of that but I have yeah. my personal opinions which I hold but mine are um if you want independence absolutely fine if you're angry about the way that you've been treated absolutely fine the issue that I have is I do not like nationalism and a lot of the rhetoric around it can sometimes slip very close to nationalism yeah. and I get really angry when I'm a British person who wholly supports whatever Scotland wants to do. And I'm just like, hey, let's deal with the problems that we've got. But every single time I turn around, I'm getting comments that are like, oh, well, I can't wait till we're free of this English rule. And, yeah. and I'm just like, I voted against everything bad that you don't yeah. like. And I am British. So whilst I understand what you're saying, please don't take it out on me using my comments. Yeah. Go away and go away and find some Brexiteer voting Tories I vote because I, I'm, I'm with you and I haven't done this to you. <laughs> 
I've always struggled with that with that sort of stuff. I always used to take the stance of I'm not Scottish, like say let's take Scotland, Scottish independent for example. I'm not Scottish. I don't, um, you know, I, I've never I've never lived there. I don't, you know, what, what does my opinion sort of really matter um, as a half English person? Um, but I agree with like the whole nationalism stuff. It was one of my modules looking at, and I do think there are some nationalistic elements that I think are are, are good, like you know, being proud of your country. But I think people conflate being proud of your country with this idea of thinking that you're better. Like, there's nothing wrong with being proud of your country. It's when you think that you are better than other people based solely on nationality. That's, that's where, where I think the, the issues started to come. That though, that is very much where nationalism and patriotism intersect, and it needs yeah. to be squashed out because that type of rhetoric isn't good it's like people that say that about england well it's the best country in the world and i'm like but it isn't though is it objectively we have the shittiest pension we have and you can go through all the things and i'm not going to sit here and, and go through all the things but yeah. you can explain that to people and it's just blind faith and the thing that i've always said and the thing that i wholly believe which i think is an incredibly important point to make to people like that is patriotism is not going my country is great because it is my country it's going yeah. my country could be great if it does better with x y and z to deal with things and make people who live yeah. their lives better that's that is the essence of patriotism nationalism is blind faith that your country is great patriotism is believing that your country always has work to do and can do it yeah and i, and I think we've got we've reached this point where basically being critical of your country or government is being seen as as, as you know your your you're not, you're not a patriot you don't you don't love your country and there there was that conflating sense amongst the people on, on the left who appear to not like not like the uk and that they don't like it and that there are reasons for that but it, it plays very easily with this idea of why would you want someone who governs the country who doesn't actually like the country you know you think about the fact sort of jerry uh, lay party under jeremy corbyn um and this idea that he was willing to be stood next to every other flag other than the union other than the union jack and it allowed people to create this narrative that he didn't like the UK, which I think under Starmer, the Labour Party has sort of sort of rebrand that image as a party of patriotism that actually likes that likes the country and that the people who are running the party care about the country and that if they when if, if they become government that they will um, they become a government that they will actually that they they will seek to make the country better, which I, I think they will. Um, and there was a lot of sort of sneering and this idea, of, but that's where the problem starts. Like if you are happy for, you know, if you, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get the whole sort of the, I understand the the issues with the Union Jack and the St. George's Cross. Um, and I understand why people are a bit um, hesitant about the symbols. I was always one of those people that would see, if I saw a Union, if I saw the St. George's Cross, for example, being flown outside someone's house and there wasn't a football tournament going on I would assume that person was a racist and I'm, I'm not afraid to say that I, I don't think that anymore I think because of with sort of particularly within football for example uh the successes that the, the sort of success of the England team has had and sort of the way it's brought the country together this idea of you know we can be proud of our country uh, like when I was younger going on holidays as Greece and France you would see the French flag being flown you would see the Greek flag being flown and I understood why, because, you know, say with Greece, for example, the treatment in the Second World War under the Nazis mm. and some of the atrocities that were committed there and this, this fight to keep Greece, Greece. And so it's part of that. I mean, I don't think the UK, the England hasn't, the UK hasn't really had that sort of um, atrocity with the Second World War to the same extent we did. But we've never had like 
but obviously Vikings, yes, but that was a long time ago. We haven't no, had it we have in our recent. Well, we haven't in our recent. Despite what the Daily Express would have us believe, we haven't been invaded for some time. Uh, made by Russian money, but um, I don't think um, not. Not uh, we haven't had a physical uh, invasion as of yet. Maybe that will change. Um, hope not. Um, but no, and I think it's particularly within Labour. Sort of going back to that point, the Labour Party sort of rebranding and making it clear that they like the country. I think to a certain extent that has been achieved. It's not. It's why I stopped using the term like flag shagger because it doesn't helping it just puts people off you just come across as sneering condescending um and it, it just plays into the hand it just plays into the hand of the Tories which obviously we want to stop doing I think that that's been the, that was the problem one of the biggest problems that a lot of the stuff that they were doing between 2015 to 2019 was just playing into the hands of the Conservative Party um there was like the, the footage of um like footage of Jeremy Corbyn refusing to sing the national anthem that mouth the word like you know it's not even a case of um i imagine which I imagine is what a lot of people do i would one a thing lot of patriots you have i would i would pay i would say you know if you can sing the anthem all the way through i'll pay you 100 pounds i don't even have 100 pounds my name at the moment um so you know that's come in just through yeah but one thing that made me laugh so 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 hard was uh johnson in pmqs last week yeah. because he just like he loves jeremy corbyn more than yeah. any ardent jeremy corbyn supporter in the entirety of the uk because he was like and that, that, is, at, that is saying something <laughs> still the dispatch box going oh, we're you we're a corbyn supporter we're not a corbyn government if it's me and i'm like yeah. literally jeremy corbyn hasn't been in power since 2019 and you are still talking it's not about even a labor it's not even a labor mp and I think that's basically what it comes down to a lot of it. It's like when you, you say to people, people who voted Tory in 2019, you look at the sort of show we're in and you say, you know, do you, I'm not saying you have to, but do you sort of regret your choice? You go, what, would be, what was the alternative? The alternative of Jeremy Corbyn? And I sort of understand, I sort of understand it to a certain extent, but it couldn't have got any worse. I don't think, I mean, I don't like to deal with the hypotheticals because it's, you know, it doesn't help anyone. I'm not going to think of imaginary scenarios in my head. I'm, I'm not a, social conservative imagining that lgbtq people are going to impose their ideologies upon me and uh, control my very way of thinking I, before you know it will be it'll be illegal i am trying white and british yeah fingers crossed <laughs> but no i um but it comes down to this idea of, of you know like what the big like what ifs like or oh, it could it could have been worse and you think how can it how can it get any worse i've been very fortunate that i haven't really felt it i felt it briefly when i was at university with the cost of living living by myself um, but I've been very fortunate that it didn't really impact me too much. I'm in a, I was in a very fortunate position that if I had wanted to, I could have contacted my parents and said, look, I need, I need financial support. And they would give them to an instant. A lot of people don't have that. Um, and, um, but no, I think it's, they're going back to those, sort of those points about um, sort of people going, well, imagine what could have worked. Like, why would I imagine when we're currently in a shit show? I don't need to imagine. I think... If in the idea that Labour was somehow ready to govern in 2019 is laughable, that they weren't. And I think that if we had, if, if we did have a, have a Labour government, they would not have gotten away with a quarter of the stuff that the Conservative Party have gotten away with. Can you, I mean, when they, uh, in 2021, when they announced 100,000 deaths, and they just, they, you know, the media, they show a photo of Boris Johnson looking remorseful. Can you imagine if that was a Labour Prime Minister? I absolutely can. They would call it. They would call it for resignations. Heads, they'd be inciting. You know, you've got Storm Number Ten. You've got 
dragging about the bus. He says, I, I say I don't want to deal with like, imagine, imaginations, and then here I am, just creating scenarios. But well, that's the thing, though. You said, can you imagine it? And the answer is absolutely, because that's exactly the kind of narrative that they spun. That's exactly what they yeah. want us to do. They want us to imagine, what if it's a Labour yeah. government and it would be this terrible? And it's like, yeah, but it's it, a conservative it government. Yeah. Mm. Oh, God, honestly. With the, mail, with the stories about the Starmer stories, it's like, well, first of all, it's a non-story. Second of all, the MP in Durham that wants this story to be talked about did a similar thing. And so they're insisting that Starmer broke the rules. So by that default, this guy must have also broken the rules as well. It's such oh. a non-story. And also this idea, they were both there. It's like, it was a Zoom quiz. But let's put it this way as well. If Starmer's broken the rules, then so has Boris Johnson. And if you want Starmer to be punished for breaking the rules, then you should want Boris Johnson to be punished yes. for breaking the rules. Like, yeah. this is how it works. But the ultimate issue that I have with that Daily Mail headline, with Michael Fabricant, with everyone that keeps bringing this yeah. up, it is, it is this simple. It's not about cake. This wasn't just like, no. well, don't do that because it's bad. And they did it and it was a bad thing to yeah. do. This was public health guidance that said there is a deadly virus that is going around yeah. the country. If you catch it, you might not die, but you could infect seven to 20 other people. And they, out of them, at least one to three of those people may die or be permanently disabled. Yeah. Out of those, it's now been proven that it's seven people might be permanently disabled. And they ran that risk. Whether it's anything other than like, that's the main point. And when it comes down to the government doing it, they implemented those rules. And if they couldn't stick to them, then yeah. that is a showing of the fact that they are not able or capable of protecting the, the people that elected them and they should not be in power. And it's this idea, I mean, you think about the person, everyone made sacrifices and they were ranged out throughout the course of the pandemic. And now I remember when um, in April, March, April, 2021, my my whole family caught COVID in, in the house and we all were varying uh, degrees of sort of suffering from it. We weren't vaccinated then because obviously the vaccine wasn't available, available to us just yet. And I mean, you read these stories of people who weren't able to say goodbye to their loved ones or they had to say goodbye to them over FaceTime. Um, at funerals weren't able to properly console people they had to be kept together and um, you hear the, the these stories and your heart breaks and then you see that they're, they're, they're parting I think a lot of these people will claim that they you know they love our institutions they love the queen god save the queen and all that they'll happily sing sing the anthem parting the the day before uh, prince philip's funeral and then watching her sat by herself in I'm, I'm not would I consider myself a royalist? Probably not. But you can still have empathy for that and still see that. And I mean, my heart went out to her. And my heart goes out to all of you. I know you, for example, um, and what you had to, what you had to go through. And then you got them in government going, you know, we don't we don't care. This idea of one rule for them, one rule for us. It's counterproductive to the anti-vax, anti-lockdown movement as well. Because this idea of you've got to follow these rules because this virus is deadly and then they're out all partying, people go, hang on. Clearly it's not. If, if, it, if it was so dangerous, why, why are you having cheese and wine nights every, every other day? And you know, one, of the, one of the comments I get quite a lot about that is um, reminiscent of things like, oh, well, uh, you know, people out there got fined for doing less. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. but those people still broke the... I don't think you understand. I'm not yeah. saying 
oh, well, they did it and we should have been able to. What I'm saying is nobody should have done it and they mm. should face recompense. 50 quid fine for the prime minister of the country. Like the thing that annoys me the most paying, about that, let's be honest. that's the thing that annoys me the most is that ultimately every single civil servant's salary is paid by the British taxpayer. So essentially we are paying their fines and those fines yeah. are pittance. What is going to put them off of doing it? There was a student in Nottingham who I think was fined 12 grand. Yep. A little bit I less th than that. I think, I think it was 10 because the max was 10, wasn't student, it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, around sort of 10 grand. And there was another student, I think maybe the same student, who fell off a roof trying to hide from the police. Obviously, you shouldn't you shouldn't have having parties during uh, during lockdowns anyway. And it was, and it's obviously tried, and it's obviously sad that someone someone has passed away. But the the, the wider so you think about you think about people getting moved off benches for sitting down, and then for the for some MP Tory MPs to try and say, well, nurses were having parties. They were having cake in the office, and there's the um, what's the face? The Sophie, I can't pronounce her last Corcoran. name. Corcoran, 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 whatever her name is. I should get it correct. Um, but then she put in sort of repeating this sort of propaganda and this uh, this image of, of uh, these nurses having a pizza delivered to them, and that photo, but that photo was taken before all those measures were were, were introduced. I mean, these people clearly lack critical thinking skills, and also it's just a massive insult to people that you know that that, that you also because first of all that you you know to the people that you are that you are uh, wrongfully accusing of, and second to the people that you spout that sort of stuff to because you because you believe that they're stupid enough to 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 lap it up. I think it is disgraceful. I can't I can't fucking stand it. I think that's for me like with my content. I've always. To the best of my knowledge, made it uh, had it as truthful as possible, and I think it's very sort of key. I can't, you can't, you know, shun someone for lying and then indulge in it yourself or sort of mistruths. And then the, the, there are videos that used to be up there that I removed because I realised some of the stuff I was saying wasn't right. A lot of my sort of praise for Jeremy Corbyn, for example, in 2020, I removed after the EHRC report because I that that for me was seeing what a lot of people have been saying at the time that he is a narcissist that he doesn't. Um, that he doesn't care that it's all it's all about him and um, so for that, that, that those videos have been taken down I also think when you sort of talking about the wider sort of British public and saying you know why aren't we doing this why aren't we doing that and they think well would you do that and it's like probably not it, it just sort of comes down to that that sort of stuff well I guess the main thing I always like to ask people is like what would you want to see as well? Because obviously we've talked, you, you mentioned nationalism and stuff, and you mentioned a couple of things about reform. Like, yeah. what do you think we really need from politics and, and the public in general? Like, what's ideal? We just need, I think there needs to be pride, but not pride in, sort of the pride that we've got at the moment seems to be based around the suffering of others. And sort of like, we're sort of like when refugees are have, have drowned in the English Channel, for example, and you get people sick fucks who cheer it. It's like why? Oh, I mean, imagine if there was a civil war here in this country, and people imagine those same people would be. You get longer, so I'll be staying to fight, and it's like oh, you fucking wouldn't. Like you got nicotine addiction and gout, mate. You're 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 not doing anything. <laughs> um, and this idea of um, I, I 
I think it's all about sort of the compassion and empathy. I'm not a religious person by any stretch of the imagination, but one of the teachings I do remember from, from school was this idea of do to others as you would have them do to you, love thy neighbour, which I've always sort of believed in. And we we're constantly told that this is a Christian country. Um, and yet you get a lot of people who would claim to be uh, sort of Christian, for example, who don't, who don't practice that. There needs to be a more focus on sort of compassion and empathy and this idea of not to repeat sort of coalition mantras from the early 20th century, but we are all in this together. Um, and it's a duty of helping each other if we want to succeed. It's not a case of because I've achieved this, I'm going to pull the ladder up, I'm going to pull the ladder away. And, you know, you've got to figure out another way of stepping on the, uh, different people trying to trying to get to the top. It's about helping people and to achieve. That's what I like about MP like Angela Rayner, for example. Who comes from a very comes from a very working class background, left school at 16 with a child and no qualifications. She was able through hard work and determination to able to get to where she is. And instead of pulling the ladder away, she's trying to help other people to get to where to where to where she has been, which mm-hmm. I think is very admirable. It needs to be on that focus of, of helping helping each other, um, which may sound very lefty, but I don't, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's, um... I think I think it's true. Like the problem that we seem to have is that everybody's so aligned against each other, and that. Obviously, a lot of my content is very critical of right-wing people, but it's not because I think if you're a right-winger, you're a piece of shit. I think that right-wing politicians are a completely different breed than right-wing people. And I just think there's a lot of ignorance and tribalism in right-wing voters that could easily be stamped out if for five minutes they just stop and listen to the fact that they're voting against their own interests. You know, like, what, what does... My like I, some of my family are um, conservative voters, and I'm like, yeah. as a as a 64 year old working class northern man, what do you have in common with Boris Johnson more than with someone like Angela Rayner, who understands what it's like? Yeah, well, it, it comes down to this idea of, I mean, the thing Boris Johnson to me is not is a, is, a, is a character. He's almost like so uh, President Zelensky was on President of Ukraine became famous, one of the reasons he became famous and was able to launch a bid to become the Ukrainian president was that he played, he, in a sitcom, he played a he played a fictional Ukrainian president. Boris Johnson has kind of done a, same, a similar thing in a sense. He's almost a, a caricature of himself, of what you imagine a, a posh Tory MP to be. He has created this sort of caricature and sort of this lovable buffoon. You think about the gaps that he's performed over the years, getting stuck on the zip wire, the throwing the ball over, uh, throwing the basketball into the hoop, the rugby tackling on the small child as well. Um, some of the tackles he's made during charity football games, it's all part of, a, of an act and a ploy to pull people in. And it is, and it's worked. This idea of, oh, you know, Boris, he's the only politician that we, we call by his first name. And I try my best not to do it. And Same I think here. a lot of people, a lot of people sort of fell, I think even myself sort of fell for it, this idea of, you know, oh, he's a character, he's harmless, what can he do? He is a nasty, nasty man. You look at the stuff that he has said about black people, for example, gay people, women, it's fucking despicable. The, the stuff that he said about um, Muslim women, for example, look like bank robbers and letterboxes, contributed to a 375% spike in Muslim-related hate crime. And this is the man who people have decided we're going to put in charge. Like, can you can you imagine doing a, a job interview, for example, and you interviewed someone like Boris Johnson, who on the face of it, 
seems very charismatic, very outgoing, very easy to talk to. And then he found out all of that stuff about him. You, you wouldn't hire him at all. But yet people have decided this is the man to lead the country. It, it's completely absurd to me. But then, I it's, mean... It's funny that you say it because as much as I agree with you, it's funny. I worked, I actually mentioned this on my last podcast episode. I worked yeah. with a guy who is the northern, taller, better looking version of Boris Johnson. He is blonde, he is posh, he is blue eyed, yeah. and he's a fucking creep. And literally, everybody bent over backwards to write off the bad things he did. He came into work pissed. Oh, it's just yeah. him, is that? He hate crimed me at work. Oh, yeah. it's, it's really disgusting, but it's just, you know, maybe he meant it as yeah. a joke. Like, why are you excusing literal illegal behavior? He yeah. cheated on his girlfriend. He was like, ah, there's so many things that he did. And I would just always be like, why does everyone let him get away with this? Because I used to call him out. I used to yeah. like not dislike the guy, but I used to call him out. And everybody else would be like, it's just him is that. And that's how people like Johnson get into yeah. politics because they just keep lowering the fucking bar. And so if they, if the one time they don't duck under it again, well, that's, that's you're the like, thing oh, this government, that's what they, they, they've excelled in. It's why there's not really any urgency to get rid of Boris Johnson because he has put them into that position. Can you, can you imagine any other Tory leader in 2019 getting an 80 seat majority? I don't think anyone, anyone could because it, it just wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been feasible. You would have had a sort of Theresa May style, Theresa May style candidate that would have, you know, given you another hung parliament because he appeals to, to his credit. He has got, he does have an appeal to people, um, which like me, I mean, I, I know sort of figure out why it doesn't appeal to me, um, but it's, it's absurd. And that's what you get a lot of the, a lot of the MPs, you got a lot of ministers in power at the moment, sort of Nadine Dorries, for example, would she be in any position of authority? Um, or any sort of any sort of ministerial position under any other prime minister. I mean, considering in 2012 she had the whip removed from her um, when she went on uh, what was it on a celebrity, which um, I can't for life me figure out why anyone would go on that. But um, it's this was part of the wider problem, and also the behaviour within the government's been excused. Brief to tell, found guilty of bullying, stayed in a job. I mean, that, like looking at Patel as well. There's the whole yeah. thing. There's a the whole. She literally got forced to resign because she was holding unauthorized meetings with foreign superpowers. Yeah. And it's yeah, no, it's, it's why would you give someone a job? It's very, it's very sort of weird thing. Sort of ministerial jobs. It's like okay, so you weren't good at, in health, so we're going to move you to transport. It's this almost sort. Of, can you imagine like pure job for example? Can you imagine anyone just being like, yeah, you know, you're not seeing all this, we're going to move you to do this. It's no. you, you wouldn't. It would ne never happen. And it's this, I, I don't think we've ever, I don't think we've actually had a sacking in this government. We've had resignations. There was Gavin Williamson, who stopped being education secretary, but then he was given a knighthood, presumably because he kept his mouth shut about a lot of stuff. Well, he tried to claim that he sacked Hancock, didn't he? But he very plainly didn't, because yeah. Hancock had already put a video out on Twitter saying, I've resigned. It, it, yeah. He's another one that needs to be dragged over the coals. I think if you look to, the, I don't know if you saw it the other day, the uh, policy about um, uh, the basically the government's policy of sending people back into care homes uh, mm -hmm. without prostitute, without doing a COVID test, um, contributed. I think it was about twenty thousand to thirty thousand, uh, thirty thousand deaths. 
Yeah. And whilst the government was saying we threw a protective ring around them, and it turns out the protective ring clearly had a hole in it. Um, and you think there's been no accountability whatsoever. And I don't, I don't believe this. This broke on the same day that it was revealed that there was a Tory MP watching adult content on his phone. I don't believe it's a. I don't think it was a distraction at all. Um, not everything is. A, everyone's. I feel like that's become very popular. People going, oh, it's a dead cat. Dead cat. Everything is like not everything is a dead cat. Um, I do think there's some way to saying. I think the Angela Rayner stuff was a dead cat because they knew that a lot of stuff was coming with regards yeah. to this legislation that they've pushed through. And I think everyone was too busy focused on either going, oh, well, she shouldn't be wearing that, or why are we yeah. focusing on an MP's legs? And all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's like, oh, by the way, these that two Angela, really I mean, restricted pieces just story is Despicable. So I, I do think it's sort of, and maybe this is maybe a conspiracy theorist, but it's almost like this, sort of, after the week, the week that they had before, and sort of being able to rebrand and you get the story that comes out where they're claiming that some Tories said this and the Tories can come and go, no, this wasn't done in our name, no, this is wrong. We condemn all forms of misogyny and they can sort of rebrand and then it looks like, oh, we're having a bit of a unity moment. And it's like, yeah, but we're also going to take away your right to protest. So, you know, strap ourselves in. It's, I mean, I can't for the life of me. It's, I find that we're doing a lot. I'll be doing videos and I'll be scripting it and then I get halfway through and I'm like, what's the point? Seriously, what yeah. like, what is the point? I've reached ages like I'm. I don't know where I am on if my account's going to get banned or not. But it does get to the point where it's like, why am I still doing this? And that can be, be that can sound very egotistical, but it does get to the point where it's like I've been doing. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been doing it for what eighteen months. There are people who've been doing this for years, and they're still going. But it, it just gets to the point where it's like. I don't, I, clearly, I mean, it just gets to the point where you feel like all you're doing is preaching to the converted and preaching to the converted only goes so far. And See, you... I don't know. I, I get where you're coming from. But for me, when I started doing this and I started getting more and more people being like, yes, thank you. Oh my God. Oh yeah. So I agree. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Even if that's all I do, even if all I do is reassure people that the world isn't a seething shithole. Yeah. that's fine anything else on top of that is cherry on the cake like nothing's ever yeah. going to stop me from doing this because even if i'm making sure that people feel like they're not alone that's enough anything else is good and i'll so i'll always keep doing it because i i don't know how you feel like i'm not in this for ego i don't talk about politics because it makes me money it doesn't i lose money on all this but i do it because it's right and because it helps people that otherwise would just feel completely lost so it's not yeah. necessary uh, not to sound like a champagne communist but it's it's <laughs> our it's our struggle and i like to talk to everyone about it and make sure that they yeah. feel like they've got representation i mean i feel like i was able to i was able to do that i feel like i was able to do that better before i got banned from doing lives which still mm -hmm. to this day irritate i remember i was raging i got banned for apparently nudity i was basically wearing this one this hoodie now I even had the hood up at the start. There was nothing on show, and the, the ban was, was it was was given, and I wasn't able to appeal it. Um, but no, I do. I mean, yeah, for me, I mean, I just started doing it. It started off as a university module, and it kind of just grew from there, as, as I said earlier. This idea of, you know, that sort of that you are that you're contributing something good, and that you're letting you like you said you're letting people know that you know that there are people on on your side. Um, I mean, yeah, for me, there have been times where like I, I stopped doing content like briefly for like a, a couple of days or so just because I 
it, it tires you out. It, it does, like, for, for me personally. I mean, I know I had other stuff going on. Um, it's why, like, when, like, I, I've had a few sort of paid opportunities. So I, won't, I won't shy away from that. I've had a few. Um, and there are ones where people, like, want me to do certain stuff. And it's like, but I, I don't, not that I don't agree with it, but it's just I don't have the time. In a sense, like, this, this, this costs money. Um, to do that certain stuff and also at the moment with like balance university as well with work and this if people want me to do like a specific thing then yes I, I will charge for that service and that's not because you know it's it, it, it's, it's because I mean I can't afford to like, do, it, do it for free um, which I don't which, think is a bad thing to say which is a really good opportunity to say uh, it's it's Champagne Socialist and you can follow him on all his socials. And also, just just so you're all aware, Politically Enraged has a coffee that you can donate to if you if you want me to carry on doing this and not die destitute and poor. Not that I'm saying it's your fault, anyone, but yes. So what I found with the lies, for example, that I was able to engage with the audience much better and not even looking at people who agreed with what I said, but people who also disagreed. And it was a good way of actually being able to speak to a lot of people. A lot of people that... I follow or across a variety of different views who I would occasionally have on to try and contribute. And I enjoyed that because I thought I wanted to create my space to be a safe platform for people to talk about different ideas. And also not even to basically to figure out why. I think with a lot of stuff with like um, sort of LGBTQ issues, for example, as well, you know, what should I say? How should I like go about these sort of topics? There's nothing wrong with asking. I don't think anyone can, I think there are some people who may get annoyed, but those people aren't worth listening to. It's this idea of being able to listen. A lot of stuff, I don't really know how to navigate a lot of it. Um, and it's good to hear what other people have got to say about certain topics in order to understand how to do it. Obviously, there's no room for bigotry and stuff. And if people were, say like the sort of like uh, with pronouns, for example, which I personally think is a massive non-issue. Um, I think if, you know, you're worried about what, pronouns people use then you need to go touch grass quite frankly um but this also it's about trying to figure out like people say like the whole sort of they them stuff like it doesn't doesn't matter and um just encouraging just letting people know that it's okay to to ask questions and to to figure stuff out i would much rather people did it in a space where it's safe rather than just like going and looking at some random stuff and then being like oh like, oh this is how i'm supposed to think this is how i'm supposed to feel um which I think was very interesting. I don't know if you had that, but like whenever you did lives. Yeah, I mean, I, I should start doing them more again, really. Um, it's just, I don't I, I don't really know whether people find me interesting enough to watch me sit on a live and talk. But like, yeah. in particular with issues like that, what I've found, when you look at the, like, the turfs and stuff like that, a lot of people aren't actually as horrifically turfy as you think. It's just that they go off on this tangent because yeah. they don't have someone to ask the innocent questions to like, Oh, well, what, what, like why are pronouns so important? Oh, well, like, what if like, yeah. you know, the usual argument of like, well, what if a man pretends to be a woman and goes in a bathroom? Well, that's not a trans person. So it's not their fault. Um, yeah. and they get that sent down this like weird sort I of I think like, a lot of it is, it's like these big what ifs that get exploited because, you know, everyone can imagine a what if, but you then have to ask, but would it realistically happen? Yeah, like my my sort of the whole big like that was like like trans issues all sort of ends up coming down to public bathrooms, and mm. I think who the hell? My my thing is is like I think there's but there's a lot of focus on more sort of the the male to female. I think there's a lot more focus on that. 
Being part of the LGBTQ is really interesting because you find that there's a schism of gay men get a lot more shit than lesbians. Lesbians tend to just be completely ignored, which is, in a way, I'm glad that lesbians hopefully experience less homophobia, but also it means that lesbians are less roundly represented and that really fucking annoys me because lesbians are also like homosexual people and deserve to have their voices heard, their issues heard and things like that. But it's skewed opposite for transgender people because trans women get so much shit and even um i think it was the week before last this i'm not i'm not using the phrase gender critical to not use the word turf but this gender critical writer literally wrote an article called trans men are men but trans women aren't women and i i read the title and was like this can't say what i think it does and i opened it up and it was like well women have a unique experience and it's like so men don't and trans people don't like, like it's just like yeah no i think it's i would say with i'd say with the sort of the sort of lesbianism it's almost it has been sort of i don't know you found this bit sort of fetishized uh sort of fetishized i've seen that a lot with the the sort of when you sort of people who fetishize sort of lesbian relationships for example and see mm-hmm. it as just like a um as, just for the gratification of men for example i've definitely seen that a lot more also within sort of people who are bisexual, for example, and they are just seen as a, as a tool for sort of, sort of sexual means. Yeah. It's, um, I, mean, I, I mean, I've got friends across the variety of the, sort of, of the spectrum and it, it's, and, and I think I, I've sort of seen, you see it on nights out a lot, for example, the, you know, it, it, it then, and then sometimes it does not feel when you've got sort of straight girls kissing their mates and it's like, that, that doesn't, like by, by all means do that if you want to, but I think it's also sort of understanding the wider implications of that topic. Like if, if I like if I kiss my male friends, no one's really going to think much of it. Um, but then you know, still women, for example, people do, and there is that sort of those sort of connotations associated with it, and people can get quite aggressive in that sense. It's honestly, it's very weird and it's very very tiring, and it's a topic I could wax on forever. Um, but it just, it gets to the point where you wonder, this is one of those issues where you're like, the only people that will sit and listen objectively to LGBTQ plus issues are people who are already fine with it. I've, yeah. I've, I've spoken to homophobic people and just like, I sit back and I laugh at the ridiculousness of their points. And especially at the moment, trying to talk sense to, to anti-trans people is impossible because the, you'll be like, sort of you'll anti- be like, you just, you say something like, right. So you're concerned that all transgender people are bad and they'll be like yep and i'm like would you say that about any other minority and they're like well other minority aren't blah 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 and i went on um a a gender critical person linked me to an anti-trans website the other day and i went on three articles were actually about genuine bona fide transgender people two were about transgender people that were involved in just like horrible crimes but crimes that were nothing to do with being transgender. And one was a transgender person who was in a woman's prison and who had with the other prisoners consent impregnated them. And I'm like, so literally none, nothing, zero of these articles proves that transgender people are a danger, but you people consume it, see the word transgender and conflate that with all these things. You are literally stupid. The fear that the next uh, sort of culture war will be on trans issues. I think it's here. I think we're in it now. They've already utilised it, but I think that the time of the next election, there will be a big focus on it because obviously 
there's the whole white old labor can't define what a woman is and it is it just allows no one's i mean i haven't noticed anyone asking tory ministers that question um which i think would be quite interesting to see i'd like to see dominic raab answer that question i can't explain why i just i like watching dominic raab explain things because it just shows me that you know no matter where i go in life no matter if i feel like i'm underqualified to do something i just remember that dominic raab has a job and it, <laughs> it helps me it, it kind of fills me with confidence that i'm going to be okay in, in life <laughs> Relatable, yeah. How that man does anything other than just stare at his own reflection in amusement is beyond me. My favourite one, what was he said? The sea was closed. The that sea was, was uh, closed. Um, what yeah. was the other thing? What was the other thing that he said that I always Please make Please don't investigate crimes retrospectively. Yes, that was it. That was and then one. there's one other thing that he said that always cracks me up and it was about women, I think. What was it? Um... I can't quite remember, but it, it like he said something about like, oh, women don't necessarily mind, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. who, who, what, who, what, who, what, who, why, what? And it just like, I could actually yeah. feel my brain like sort of like, you know, like when you've got, you know, when you put a disc in your PS4 and it's like humming because it's trying really hard to yeah. read it. I could literally hear my brain doing that. And I was like, nope, nope. It's, yeah, it's nope, almost no. like the sort of static sort of like the buffer, buffer symbol after five Mr. Rob. Yes. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. He, he's actually, I think he might be on course to lose his seat, actually, under current polling. Um, so I've heard. Fingers crossed. Democrats, but I guess, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Right. Well, yeah. this was really cool. So thank you very much no, for coming on. It. And now okay, I'm going to... Me. You are welcome. Thanks for listening to Politically Enraged, a podcast designed to discuss politics palatably. If you're interested in following us on social media, you can find me at David Moo pretty much everywhere. And you can also find us on Instagram at Politically Enraged, where you can see the blog. You can find us on Kofi in case you'd like to caffeinate me. And you can find us on Twitter at Political Rages. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, stay politically engaged and get politically enraged. Because remember, we deserve better. <laughs>